Welcome to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT Live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live from WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. In designing this concert, I began with a central piece on the program, Michael Doherty's incredible violin concerto, Fire and Blood. And this violin concerto is both about pictures, it's inspired by paintings, and it's also about Mexico because it's inspired by uh, the famous Mexican muralist Diego Rivera. So I thought in building the program around Fire and Blood that it would be wonderful to have kind of the ultimate painting or picture piece in the entire repertoire, Mazorsky's Pictures in an Exhibition, as the final work on the program. But then for the first work on the program, I wanted something rather different. I wanted something that in essence reflected the Mexican elements in Michael Doherty's piece. So I turned to a a very gifted young Mexican composer I've gotten to know. Uh, I played a piece of hers in New York City a few years ago. Her name is Gabriela Ortiz, and I was very impressed by the piece uh, she wrote for my ensemble in New York City and uh, wrote to her about a year and a half ago and asked her if she had a piece that might be an appropriate opening work for this concert uh, featuring this violin concerto of Michael Doherty's. And she recommended a a very recent work of hers, a work that's uh, based on and drawn from, derived from originally a a string quartet piece, a piece that she wrote on a commission from the Kronos Quartet that was played and toured widely by the Kronos Quartet called Altares de Muerto, Altars of Death, uh, inspired by that very special Mexican and Latin American holiday, uh, El Dio de Muerto, the Day of the Dead. If you don't know about this holiday, and, and I don't know too much about it, but I know that it is a special day particularly in Mexico, where people commune with, think about, pay tribute to their beloveds who who have passed on from this world. And it's a very mystical, very ritualistic kind of holiday, and there are masks and all sorts of interesting things that people do. So um, Gabriela wrote this very exciting and interesting string quartet for the Kronos Quartet. And I don't know whether it was actually specified in the quartet, but I, I went on YouTube and saw a little clip that's on there of the quartet playing this piece, and they play it with these fantastic sort of complete head masks over their their heads while they're playing their violins and viola and cello. Very dramatic thing. And so um, I guess when, when Gabriela was asked by a Mexican orchestra for a new orchestra piece, she asked whether she could, in fact, take the last movement of her string quartet and turn that into an orchestra piece, which, in fact, she did. And that's the work that we open our program with uh, on this concert. It's a work uh, that she actually titled Trama, T-R-A-M-A, which I have to tell everybody does not mean the same thing in Spanish as trama, T-R-A-U-M-A. It means something entirely different. And actually, I think she's, since I explained that to her, she's now going to probably change the title of of the piece. Uh, Trama, I think, just means uh, in Spanish uh, a story or a plot. And so this is the the story of this this piece. And this is, as I mentioned, the, the last movement of this string quartet, but now much changed, shortened, and reorchestrated 
orchestrated to include winds and percussion and into this very exotic, about eight or nine minute long, really dance piece. It's it's in three parts, a very clear and easy to understand, a kind of fanfare exciting opening, and then a very beautiful, melodic, folk-inspired middle section, and then a very exciting dance section that brings the piece in a sort of ritualistic way to its close, uh, which actually is based on a, on a native indigenous song from a, a Mexican tri- a tribe in Mexico. I should also mention that what I particularly like about this piece and about Gabriela Ortiz's music is that like the great Mexican composer Carlos Chavez, long dead, but uh, composer, but a, uh, the, perhaps the most famous of all Mexican composers and really considered the father of Mexican classical music or concert music, like Chavez's music, Gabriel's music has this wonderful kind of primitivist, almost two-dimensional sensibility to it, where it's it's very flat in a way. It doesn't have a lot of depth of sonority, but it has this wonderful kind of fabulous, uh, almost occasionally brutal exoticism or folk element in it. It's not surprising because Gabriela is the the daughter, is the child of two very celebrated folk musicians in uh, in Mexico City, who were members of a, a very celebrated f- folklore music group uh, in the mid twentieth century, mid and late twentieth century, and so she grew up hearing all sorts of indigenous Mexican folk music and dances, and and really immersed in Mexican traditional music, and then went off and studied classical composition, and so her music always has this wonderful, very distinctly and uniquely. Mexican folk sound to it. So here now, the first uh, United States performance of Gabriela Ortiz's Trama, a section of Altars de Muerto for orchestra. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony. It's conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Gabriela Ortiz's Trama for orchestra, featuring the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Now, the next work on our program is a piece that I've loved and wanted to do for a very long time and have never just found the right place to uh, to program it. Michael Doherty is a composer who, whose work I've performed a great deal through my career. We kind of grew up musically together. He's maybe a couple of years my senior in his, his mid to late 50s. I'm in my early 50s. But he was at Yale when I was in New York at Juilliard. And when I was a young conductor conducting the New York Youth Symphony, I, I did some of his music. And actually, when I came to Albany, I believe even on my very first concert here, we premiered a Michael Doherty piece, the last movement of his Superman symphony, the Metropolis Symphony, which went on to have performances all over the world and was recorded and played and enjoyed widely. And through the years, I've played a, a great number of Michael's pieces. Last year, we did a wonderful piano concerto of his, Duse Machina, uh, all about trains. And this is another of, of his more recent works that I'm, I'm really excited by. It's called Fire and Blood because it was commissioned by the Detroit Symphony and it was inspired by uh, these incredible murals that the great Mexican muralist Diego Rivera painted at the Detroit Institute of Art, this extraordinary art museum in the heart of downtown Detroit. And Rivera was uh, invited by Edsel Ford to come and paint these incredible murals. It's it's a whole room at the Detroit Institute of Art, a very big room, and these are gigantic murals that fill all the walls, and they're all about industry. But of course, uh, Rivera was a, a communist, so they're kind of about industry and about automation and about machines, but they're also about, you know, people and fire and suffering, and they're incredibly dramatic murals. Uh, So I guess the Detroit Symphony had the idea of commissioning Michael, or perhaps Michael had the idea of creating a, a musical equivalent of these incredible murals. And Michael actually went and spent hours staring at the murals and analyzing the murals. And, and in fact, 
at the premiere of the piece, it was premiered by at Orchestra Hall in Detroit by the Detroit Symphony, but then also a very special performance was given in this room. It must have been very crowded because you can barely fit an orchestra in the room, but I guess there was orchestra and then a lot, uh, however many notable people from Detroit they could fit in the room. They played an actual performance in the room under these incredible murals. So it's a, it's a very dramatic piece. It's a very much Mexican-infused piece, uh, and it's all about fire and about... Uh, the first movement actually is called Volcano. The work is in three movements, very powerful and exciting, kind of explosive first movement, then a very introspective and beautiful, very Mexican-tinged second movement. The second movement is really an homage to Diego Rivera's wife, the also great Mexican painter uh, Frida Kahlo. Frida Kahlo was not a muralist. She was, in essence, kind of a, a miniaturist. And um, as you may recall about her, she had a, had a terrible bus accident that almost killed her as a young woman and I guess was unable to have uh, to, to give birth to children and lived her life constantly racked by pain. And um, so a lot of her paintings, well, she was, they're very brightly colored and brilliantly executed and, and very brilliant to look at. Uh, they have lots of blood in them and they're very, they're kind of sick and macabre in a in a very powerful sort of neo-primitivist way. So this slow movement, it doesn't sound like bloody music, but it's, it's very introspective and very beautiful. And you'll hear in the distance uh, the sound of two trumpets playing sort of mariachi style with very thick vibrato. It's very, uh, very um, exotic kind of sound. And even the strings sort of imitate this mariachi sound. In fact, Michael told me that the piece was played in Mexico City twice. And the first time he went down for the performance and he said he had a terrible time getting the, uh, the Mexican trumpet players in the orchestra to play mariachi style because they view that as kind of a very street, lowbrow kind of thing and they're sophisticated concert artists. But in America, our, our musicians love to play mariachi style and our trumpets do it incredibly artfully. So uh, it's a very beautiful and soulful slow movement. And the last movement is sort of a, a, a wonderfully devilish, kind of uneven. It's in 7-8, which is a kind of irregular time signature. It's sort of depiction of machines and of industry. I should mention also that our brilliant soloist is the person who premiered this work and for whom it was written, Ida Kavafian, great American solo violinist and chamber musician, teacher as well at Curtis and Juilliard and Bard College Conservatory, and just a lovely, lovely person. Uh, she uh, was, I'm not sure that she was born in Detroit, but she grew up in Detroit. And so I think it was very touching that they asked Ida to to come back to the Detroit Symphony to play the premiere of this piece. It's now, even though it's a relatively new piece, had quite a life. It's been played in over 50 or 60 orchestras. It's been recorded not once but twice. But we're very honored and excited to play it here in Albany. So here now, Michael Doherty's Fire and Blood, his violin concerto played by Ida Kavafian with the Albany Symphony conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Since Michael Doherty's piece is so concerned with visual elements, it's in a way sort of a reinterpretation of these amazing murals of Diego Rivera and of the works of Frida Kahlo, I thought it would be lovely to close the concert with uh, the most famous of all pictorial pieces in the repertoire. 
Uh, Mussorgsky's pictures in an exhibition, as you probably know, began life as a piano piece. Mussorgsky never never wrote an orchestral version of the piece. It was a, a solely a piano piece, and he wrote it late in his life. Uh, it was inspired by a visit he made to a, a very extensive exhibit. I believe it was an exhibit of more than 400 sketches and drawings by his dear friend Victor Hartmann, who had died a year earlier. Hartmann was a sort of visionary, almost like a Leonardo da Vinci-type uh, artist. I, I don't know that he was a scientist the way Leonardo was, but all sorts of interesting, fascinating ideas about design and style and machines that he imagined and sort of pictures that he imagined and, and, and a very creative, unusual thinker uh, who drew most of his best ideas. So this was an exhibit of, of many of the important and fascinating drawings by Mr. Hartman, who, who'd been a close friend of Mussorgsky. And Mussorgsky actually, I'm told, owned a number of Hartmann's sketches. Mussorgsky, I guess, got this idea as the ultimate homage to his friend Hartmann, that he would write a musical treatment of 10 of these most extraordinary pictures. But maybe the greatest innovation, in addition to the idea of turning a bunch of paintings and drawings into sound, into a sound painting, a sound picture, into music, was that Mussorgsky also depicts himself, in essence, wandering through this exhibit. And, you know, by this time, Mussorgsky was a rather older, rather, he wasn't so, he wasn't so old, but he was, he was much aged and wizened by his a terrible dependence on alcohol and the fact that he was not entirely psychically well. And uh, he was a pretty disheveled, run-down, very big, ungainly sort of gentleman. And he, he decided to depict himself between these various pictures, a number of them, maybe half of them, as he progressed from painting to painting. And so there are these passages, the beginning with the very start of the piece, called promenades between the various pictures. It's this famous theme, bum, 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 ba-ba-bum, ba-ba-bum, bum, 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 bum. So whenever that music comes back, you know that that's, in essence, a picture of Mussorgsky himself wandering to the next painting. And what's particularly charming and, and creative about it is that as the, uh, the piece evolves, and as Mussorgsky goes from picture to picture, this promenade changes. At certain points, it's quieter. At certain points, it's more boisterous. At certain points, it's almost strange and mysterious and disjunct, uh, sort of in response to whatever the last painting or picture was that he saw. So it becomes a kind of personal tour that we're taking with Mussorgsky as he wanders through this exhibit. I should mention also that we aren't even entirely sure of all the pictures that Mussorgsky based his his musical paintings on. Certainly a number of them were in the exhibit, but but me- most of the, the work from the exhibit was lost. I think they've only been able to reconstruct six of the ten pictures, and they're not entirely sure that those are, in fact, what Mussorgsky was basing his music on. Uh, needless to say, it's not all that important to know the picture or to see the picture because the musical pictures are so dramatic and so fantastic. But for example, there's a famous, uh, one of the famous movements is this move, movement called uh, Samuel Goldenberg and Shmuel, about two old Jews sitting on a corner, one or one standing, one sitting, one's very wealthy, the other one's very poor. That painting, for example, it turns out, picture was actually two different pictures, one of a very wealthy Jewish man and one of a very poor Jewish man, and Mussorgsky, in his piece, put them together. So he took a lot of dramatic and poetic license with the materials. But what's incredible is how how fabulously whimsical and powerful and uh, and in a way, sort of like the, the Michael Doherty and Diego Rivera and Gabriela Ortiz's piece on the first half, uh, there's something very primitivist about, about a lot of this. Mussorgsky's music was not terribly polished or finished. He didn't write in traditional sonata form and things like that. In fact, after his death, his good friend Rimsky-Korsakov sort of fixed up a lot of his music that was still in not publishable shape for publication. And Rimsky was always cleaning it up and adding things and balancing it and, ref- and sort of sanding it down to 
look more uh, regular. And in fact, that was about the worst thing that could be done to Mussorgsky because he was such a, a wonderfully unique and eccentric thinker. I think that's what makes his music most spectacular. I should mention, though, as you as you probably know as well, that there have been a great number of orchestrations of this piece. Uh, there's a famous Russian one that was done shortly after uh, the piece first came out by a man called Tushmalov. Various conductors have made their own versions, including the great Leopold Stokowski. But without question, the, the work that we normally hear, that we most regularly hear, uh, most frequently hear, and the work that is sort of the undisputed masterpiece of orchestration of this piece is by the great French composer Maurice Ravel, arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, orchestrator in the entire history of orchestral music, a man of incredible refinement and, and unbelievable ear. So Ravel actually didn't consider this a very important endeavor of his. He did it at the request of Serge Kusevitsky, the conductor, for some performances that Kusevitsky had coming. But in Ravel's letters and in Ravel's biographies, you barely see this piece referred to. And yet it's certainly the most played piece of Ravel as well as the most played piece of, of Mussorgsky. Uh, so he did this for these performances of Kusevitsky. Kusevitsky had sole right to the Ravel version for the first five years or so as part of the commission. He bought those rights. So nobody else could perform it. And then, then pretty soon after that, everybody started performing it. And now it's by far the the routine version, I hope in no way routine, that all of us play. Uh, and it is so creative and wonderful, the use of kind of a couple of unusual instruments, the saxophone in one of the early movements, the old castle, the celesta toward the end, the way he uses string harmonics, those kinds of wonderful whistling sounds. And sometimes he, he has them kind of whistle up and down the fingerboard. Uh, so it's a, an incredibly creative, beautiful and exotic orchestration matching the original piano music uh, dramatically, incredibly. So here now, 10 paintings, pictures from Victor Hartmann connected together by this wonderful uh, promenade that Mussorgsky writes. This is uh, Modest Mussorgsky's Pictures at an Exhibition in the Ravel Orchestration, performed by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Thanks for listening to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller of the Albany Symphony Orchestra from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.